Welcome to the latest episode of Silver Screen Superheroes, released through Bureau 42. I'm your host, Blaine Dowler. This month, we are wrapping up our current set of X-Men films with X-Men Days of Future Past, originally released on May 23rd, 2014. So we've previously seen that there's essentially two groups of X-Men films. There's the one that started in the year 2000 with the original X-Men, and then there was a bit of a reboot with X-Men First Class. The director of X-Men First Class, Matthew Vaughn, wanted to make a direct sequel to that film that ignored the other franchise, but he ended up stepping down to direct Kingsman The Secret Service instead. When they brought Brian Singer back in as director, who had previously directed several X-Men films, he chose to base things on the Days of Future Past storyline. not entirely sure why he did it. On the one hand, he gave him the advantage to use the actors he was familiar with as well as the new cast, and as we'll see when we discuss the ending, it also may have given him a chance to rewrite and course correct some of the problematic films that came in between. Days of Future Past was a story in the comics, originally published in Uncanny X-Men issues 141 and 142, although the word uncanny didn't join the indicia of the title until issue 142, and had been on the cover for some time. In that story, it was actually Rachel Gray, the future daughter of Jean Grey and Cyclops, who was able to send Kitty Pride into the past as Kitty Pride was the youngest member of the X-Men and didn't have as many mental defenses as the others. And she did that to prevent Mystique from committing a politically motivated assassination of Senator Robert Kelly. Now, Senator Robert Kelly had previously been seen and killed in the first X-Men film. This goes a little bit differently, because the times involved would have meant sending Shadowcat back to 1973, which would have been a couple decades before she was born. So they decided, for a number of reasons to use Wolverine as the time traveler instead. Now, in order to still give Kitty Pride a significant role, they decided to upgrade her phasing powers to allow people to phase through time. So she's the one that sends Wolverine or Bishop, the different characters, back. One of the reasons that they chose Wolverine was, you know, aside from the character's immense popularity in the film franchise, is the fact that the character also doesn't age. So they didn't have to worry too much about doing anything in terms of makeup with Hugh Jackman to make him appear younger or older. They could just film all scenes with Hugh Jackman today and say, well, yeah, that's his power. He doesn't really get any older or younger over time. Some of the other characters involved, such as, you know, Blank, didn't appear in the original Days of Future Past storyline. That one came out in 1981. Blank wasn't created until Age of Apocalypse in the 1990s. But the concept is the same, where, you know, remember the X-Men goes back to prevent a politically motivated murder. That sets off a chain reaction of much more dire consequences for the team. Now, one of the other choices they made with Senator Robert Kelly being dead was to include Bolivar Trask. Now, Bolivar Trask in the comics is the creator of the Sentinels as he is in the film, although the comic book version has no outstanding physical features. In this case, Brian Singer felt that maybe his problems could come from self-loathing, and that if he cast the very talented actor Peter Dinklage, well, Dinklage's height is a form of mutation, so you could have a guy who hates part of himself, and that's what's motivating his desire to stop all mutants. And he also genuinely wants peace on Earth and believes that uniting Homo sapiens against Homo superior would allow that to happen. So if we run through the key cast members, Hugh Jackman again returns, having done a couple of films since his last one, Prisoners and Movie 43, in a segment called The Catch. He does have several credits afterwards, including the currently untitled Wolverine sequel, which he has said will be his last appearance as the character. Now, James McAvoy plays the hairiest Professor X yet. Since the last film, he's been the voice of Arthur in Arthur's Christmas. He's been in The Disappearance of Eleanor Rigby. 
He was also the UPS guy in Muppets Most Wanted, and he will appear again in an upcoming X-Men film. Michael Fassbender returns as the young Magneto. Since his last appearance, he was in A Dangerous Method, Shame, Haywire, Prometheus, and 12 Years a Slave are probably the most prominent films. Jennifer Lawrence returns as Mystique, having since launched the Hunger Games franchise as Katniss, also played in Silver Linings Playbook, House at the End of the Street, The Devil You Know, American Hustle, and we will see more of her as time goes on. Halle Berry returns. Now, since The Last Stand, she's also been in Perfect Strangers, Things We Lost in the Fire, Frankie and Alice, an episode of The Simpsons, Cloud Atlas, also in Movie 43, although in a different segment than Hugh Jackman. Nicholas Holt returns as Young Beast. Since then, he's appeared in Robot Chicken, Jack the Giant Slayer, Young Ones. Now, Anna Paquin has a very fleeting appearance in this one. Following X-Men The Last Stand, there is a rogue cut available, but I'm focused more on the theatrical releases here, in which she has a much more significant role. But since her appearance in X-Men The Last Stand, she's been in Trick or Treat, Scream 4, Phineas and Ferb, and a lot of True Blood. Now, Ellen Page marks the first person who's actually played Kitty Pride more than once. Following her role as Kitty Pride in X-Men The Last Stand, she was in an American Crime, Juno, which is probably, I think, her best role to date, who's best known, Whippet, Peacock, Inception, Family Guy, Touchy Feely, The East. So she's definitely had a lot of work. There's no confirmation that she returns in other films, but following Days of Future Past, she's been in Tiny Detectives, Into the Forest, Freeheld, and has a number of other projects in production. I highly recommend Juno if you haven't seen it yet. Now, the aforementioned Peter Dinklage marks his first appearance and potentially last in the X-Men franchise. He's probably best known these days as Tyrion Lannister in Game of Thrones, but he was also in Pixels, unfortunately, Ice Age, 30 Rock, Chronicles of Narnia, Station Agent, Nip Tuck, Threshold, Life as We Know It. He's got a very respectable career with 65 credits dating back to 1991. Sean Ashmore returns as Iceman. Since the last stand, he's also been in Solstice, The Ruins, The Superhero Squad Show as Iceman, Hatchet 2, Mother's Day, an episode of The Fringe. He's got no confirmed reappearances in X-Men films after this, but he's also been in The Following, Before and After, and Quantum Break. This marks Omar Sy's first appearance in an X-Men film. He plays Bishop, a time-traveling mutant from a different but also rather nasty future. He is best known for his work here in Jurassic World, in Samba, and in The Untouchables amongst his 55 credits. Now, a lot of those credits are in French. Evan Peters plays Quicksilver. Now, the inclusion of Quicksilver in this was a little bit interesting. There were some legal tie-ups with the character early on because he was created originally as an X-Man, but spent a lot of time as an Avenger. So there was some dispute over where the character actually belonged. And it was settled so that both Fox and Marvel had the rights to use him, which is why the character also appears in Avengers Age of Ultron. Now, the reason there was disputes, as I said, in the comics, for most of the history, which has recently been rewritten, he was considered the son of Magneto. He was one of the founding members of the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants. But he and his sister, the Scarlet Witch, wanted to break out of that. They didn't really want to be members of the Evil Mutants. They just felt an obligation to do so. So they were able to eventually join the Avengers in the Path of Redemption. They spent much more time with the Avengers than with the X-Men, although Quicksilver did return for a good run on X-Factor. It even seems like Quicksilver's role here was motivated primarily because once the legal issues were worked out, and they were worked out by having no mention of Avengers or anything like that 
in the Fox films, and having no mention of Quicksilver's parentage or mutations in the Marvel film, which is why he and the Scarlet Witch have very different origin stories, but that did get settled down and sorted out. Once that was done, and Marvel announced that Quicksilver and Scarlet Witch were going to be in Age of Ultron, Fox quickly announced that Quicksilver was going to be in this film. And in the original script, in the concept that was conceived by Matthew Vaughn, when Magneto got broken out of prison, he would have been broken out by the Juggernaut. Now, Brian Singer wasn't happy with the way the Juggernaut was used in X-Men 3 The Last Stand, which seems to be a movie that he's deliberately trying to wipe out of existence in this one. So instead of using the Juggernaut, they used Quicksilver, which is a little more elegant, a little less brute force and less destructive than the Juggernaut would have been. And he's not just a scene stealer. That scene where he's in the kitchen taking care of the guards while breaking Magneto out is a standout scene in possibly the whole X-Men franchise, let alone a lot of superhero films, at which point this proven useful character just kind of fades and disappears off the map. Now, he has been confirmed to be coming up in X-Men Apocalypse. He's played by Evan Peters. Prior to this, Peters also appeared in The Days, The Invasion TV series, An American Crime, Never Come Back, Monk Without a Trace, One Tree Hill. So a lot of TV guest appearances. The most notable film that I would say he was in is Kick-Ass, playing the character of Todd, which is kind of interesting because Kick-Ass himself was played by the same actor who plays Quicksilver in Age of Ultron, but we'll get to that when we get to Marvel Phase 2. Now, Josh Hellman was cast as the young William Stryker. So Stryker, as we may recall, was the villain in X2. Now, the actor prior to this had appeared in Home and Away, McLeod's Daughters, The Pacific, and Jack Reacher, as well as a few others. He's got 15 credits to his name at this point, with his credited career starting in 2007. Following this, he was in Mad Max Fury Road. He's also been confirmed as appearing in X-Men Apocalypse. Now, Stryker was not a part of the storyline in the original comics, although it does nicely tie in with the films. The comic book version of Stryker had no involvement with the Vietnam War or the American military. He was actually a reverend who had kind of gone off the rails. Now, Daniel Kudmore returns to the role of Colossus. I remember his role as Colossus was his debut role in X-Men 2. Since Last Stand, he's appeared in Masters of Horror, Driven to Kill, more of the Twilight Saga films, where he plays Felix, Fringe, and he's got a couple of confirmed roles after this, although none are in X-Men films. Now, Bing Bing Fan was a last-minute replacement to step in as Blink in Days of Future Past. Now, prior to this, she appears in the Chinese version of Iron Man 3, where they reshot some of the scenes involving the Mandarin. And she does have a rather extensive career history, but the vast majority of those titles are in you know films that are native to Asia, whose names I cannot pronounce, but definitely a respectable filmography with 43 credits here. Now, Aiden Canto appears as Sunspot, who hadn't been created yet when the comics came out, so he wasn't one of the original characters. The actor had previously appeared in The Following, later appeared in Mixology, Blood and Oil, Hysteria. So another fairly short filmography here. This sunspot is a little bit different than the one that I was kind of used to to the comics, but some of that was because I'd later learned that since I read the New Mutants comics that Sunspot first appeared in, he had had some power upgrades in some titles from the late 90s that I hadn't seen him in. The original sunspot could temporarily turn completely black when he was powered up and had increased strength, but not really increased durability. And he could run out of power because he was solar powered and had to store it for some time. Now, Boo Boo Stewart plays Warpath, who also didn't appear in this comic. 
He's the brother of the first X-Men to die following Giant Size X-Men number one. He's had quite a few credits, including CSI Miami and things like that, but he's probably best known for his roles in the Twilight Saga, where he plays Seth, and he has no confirmed appearances in X-Men films after that. He's got 57 credits to his name, but a lot of those seem to be smaller roles or bigger roles in small projects rather than small roles in big projects. Now, Ian McKellen returns as Magneto, at least the older Magneto. Since we last saw him in The Last Stand, he'd been in extras. He'd been in some more Lord of the Rings bonus features in a remake of The Prisoner. He was the voice of the great intelligence in Doctor Who, and of course he reprised his role as Gandalf for the Hobbit films. He's not confirmed for any future appearances, but he also appeared in Mr. Holmes earlier this year, since this came out. Similarly, Patrick Stewart is not confirmed to be in the upcoming X-Men Apocalypse, although he is confirmed to be in the Wolverine sequel. Between the Wolverine and this one, he's also been the narrator in Sinbad the Fifth Voyage, in the voice of Zobek in Castlevania Lord of Shadow 2. He appeared in an episode of The Colbert Report, in an episode of Cosmos, and in several episodes of The Family Guy. Now, Famke Janssen's role in here is very brief, and it was there specifically to say that, yeah, X-Men The Last Stand didn't happen anymore. She just appears at the end in the updated timeline after Wolverine returns to the present. Since we last saw her in The Wolverine, she has done A Fighting Man, and that's it. She also appears in Taken 3, Hemlock Grove, Nip Tuck, and a number of other titles. In a similar setup, James Marsden returns as Cyclops. Since its appearance in Last Stand, he appeared in Superman Returns, in Robot Chicken, Death at a Funeral, Straw Dogs, The Bachelorette, 30 Rock. He's certainly been keeping busy. Lucas Till briefly reprises his role as Havoc. Now, between, he's been in All Superheroes Must Die, Crush, Stoker, Paranoia, Comedy Bang Bang. He'll appear again in X-Men Apocalypse, but his role in this one was tiny. Evan Jonkeet appears as Toad, and he seems to be more of a casting based on physical appearance. He's got a few credits to his name, but his role is small. He just would really fit the makeup very well. Mark Camacho plays Nixon. He's also appeared in Arthur in 1920, Yakari, Assassin's Creed as a various voices, and has done a lot of voice work in video games over the years. His credits date back to 1989, and he's got 178 of them, although Robert De Niro's The Score is probably his best-known film outside of this one. As previously mentioned, Brian Singer returns as director. Now, since he last worked on a completed X-Men film, specifically X-Men 2, he'd done House M.D., he had done Superman Returns, Valkyrie, and a couple of made-for-TV movies before Jack the Giant Slayer, and then brought into this. He is also director on the upcoming X-Men Apocalypse. We do have a couple of interesting cameos here. Chris Claremont has written more episodes of the X-Men than anyone else in history. Len Wein also wrote the Giant Size X-Men number one that brought Wolverine onto the team and started that line before he passed it off to Chris Claremont after doing just a couple of issues. And they both appear as congressmen in the scene where Peter Dinklage as Bolivar Trask is presenting his ideas for the Sentinel program to the government. Now, writer Simon Kinberg returns as the scripter, as well as producer. Now, between X-Men The Last Stand and this one, he'd also done the screenplays for Jumper, Sherlock Holmes, and This Means War. Story credit is shared by Jane Goldman, who was also a producer of this in Kick-Ass and the Big Fat Quiz of the Year. She also co-wrote X-Men First Class, and that seems to be her main role between this. She left the X-Men Days of Future Past to move over to Kingsman with Matthew Vaughn. And similarly, Vaughn gets story credit here, but he had really stepped away to 
Days of Future Past. So Simon Kinberg came in to take what those two had left behind and finish the job. So how did this one do at the box office? It is a quality film. And in fact, at the time of this recording, it is number 250 in the Internet Movie Database's top 250 films of all time. And remember, we're looking at having a gross that's two to three times the budget of the film before we could really say it's profitable. Well, the budget of the film was 200 million, or it was an estimated 200 million. And as of February 28th of 2015, the total domestic gross was about 234 million. So this is a little bit higher, but not quite enough to make a profit solely off the domestic gross. The worldwide gross is something else entirely. The overseas gross for the film is $514,200,000, bringing the total worldwide gross to $748 million. So with that, that is closer to four times the budget than three. And with the new digital distribution methods, is a lot of profit in the overseas distribution. So they're able to get it up much more quickly because movies now are frequently digital downloads, even for the movie theaters that are projecting them on digital projectors rather than film. So this easily made money back in the theaters, which is probably why they were willing to reinvest in the franchise to release the Rogue Cut on DVD and Blu-ray. So overall, it is, as I said, a bit of a return to form and one of the higher quality films in the franchise. And it's also the last one that we're going to do in this cycle. Now, as we mentioned in previous podcasts, I do have a lot on my plate right now, so I'm going to be stepping away from this, but thankfully we don't have to end the podcast as was the fear previously. For November, we're going to rerun the coverage of the original Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles that Alex Case and I did for the Greatest Science Fiction Film Tournament podcast. And then following that, Alex is going to step in for a few months and cover the other Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle films, the Blade trilogy, and the two Hellboy films before I return. So that's what you have to look forward to in the following months. In the meantime, please rate this and any other shows you listen to on iTunes and on Stitcher. It really does help them get noticed. Share them with friends who you think would be interested and would find them enjoyable. And finally, thank you for listening.